0: you create a space for really radical listening for what other persons or other people are saying, a massive amount of magical progress can be made uh, inside telehealth that simply I just have to say, you know, if Freud would have known about telehealth, his his, uh, his uh, volumes would have been entirely different.
1: Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, You've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. welcome to another episode of the more than corporate podcast i am really excited to bring fred moss to the show dr fred moss is a holistic psychiatrist serving in many capacities a telepsychiatrist which is really an interesting phenomenon to me i'm really excited to dig into that a speaker psychiatry expert witness telehealth educator mental health coach and a filmmaker A desire to help people has been the force leading him to various settings and roles as a psychiatrist over the years and compelling him to continually look for better, more effective ways to provide the highest quality care. He is an amazing person behind Welcome to Humanity and Global Madness. Tune in and listen to Dr. Fred Moss share his experiences and reach new levels of success. We're going to talk about... The field of psychiatry. We're going to talk about the changes that it's made, what we as business owners and entrepreneurs can tap into to reach that next level of success. We're going to talk about podcasting and true voice podcasting and books and all the amazing things. It's going to be such a fantastic episode. I'm really excited that you're here for it. If you are somebody who enjoys books, who enjoys reading, who enjoys learning, and you want to be able to take that to the next level through implementation, Connection and growth, then the Design Your Life Book Club is for you. It is a place where we read books together, we learn, we talk about what we've learned, and then I actually introduce you to the author for every single book that we read. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, you can go over to Success Development Solutions Slash Book Club and sign up there, or you can go to Slash connection call to book a call with me so that we can see if it's a good fit with that being said let's go ahead and bring in dr fred
0: thank dr. you Fred.
1: thank Yay. you for being here i'm so excited oh, it's just to have fabulous
0: thing thanks for having me here i'm really excited to have this conversation i've been looking forward to it how are you today
1: i'm doing well thank you so much for asking so
0: good.
1: before we dig in let's learn a little bit about you um where are you currently located at where are you uh, living
0: uh huh. I live in Northern California, a little bit north of Sacramento, um, in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, in a county called Nevada County, in Grass Valley, and uh, and I live here with my amazing wife and uh, the three cats who are homeschooling us each and every day.
1: Yeah, I feel like our pets do educate us every yeah. single moment, right? For That's sure, man. Fantastic. Sure. Yep. Are you from California, or are you a oh, transplant? Oh no, no, no.
0: I uh, I grew up in. Um, And I grew up as a child. I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. And um, then I went to Ann Arbor for a bit. Then I went around the country for a bit back to Ann Arbor. And then uh, when I let's see I, I then I'm back to Detroit for a bit. And then I went to medical school in Chicago, Illinois at Northwestern University, right downtown in Chicago. And I love Chicago. And that's where I really grew up, to be honest, was in those five years. And uh, then I moved to Cincinnati and that's where I raised my two children. And I was there for about 19 years before I went really full nomadic. Um, I was all over the country and all over the world uh, practicing not only medicine, but practicing being a being an explorer, being a dad, being um, a friend and uh, being a world citizen and then I moved to California when I finally found Alexandra, uh, we, I had to chase her down a little bit. And so I found her in Los Angeles and we were there for a little while and we moved up in Northern California about a year and a half ago. Uh, got married uh, in, in, in Tahoe uh, last September, a couple of Septembers ago. And Congrats. Uh, I know it was super awesome, super awesome. And so we're living, living the life up here.
1: You know, there's something that you said that mm-hmm. is really telling, and something we don't talk about very often, and that's practicing to be a nomad. I mm. feel like people think um, that the nomadic life, and this really applies to everything that we do, is just something that people pick up and they leave in and they figure it out and it's perfect. And, and it really does take practice to figure out how you're going to fulfill your responsibilities, what you want your responsibilities to be Mm -hmm. and, and what life looks like. I think it's really interesting that you phrased it that way.
0: Well, it's, it's just something, you know, it takes, it does take time and energy. I, I miss the lifestyle to some degree, but now that I have an actual place that I love and, you know, I've a little bit of a put a stake here. I don't miss traveling as much as I thought I would. Um, you know, I was a locum tenens as a physician, which meant that I was being hired to fill in gaps around the country of people, you know, places and uh, that needed a physician to step in for a while. Um, and that allowed me to see many, many of the different rural and suburban and urban areas um, as I wished, wherever I wanted to go. All I had to do was sort of apply for the job, make sure my license was intact, and uh, move to those spaces. So I got to see a lot in America. And then when I launched, started launching into going to Europe and going to Israel and um, working from there to, as well, uh, that really led me to realize that I'm really just a world citizen. Like anything else named Moss, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss and there's uh, no, no point in me slowing down is how I live life. But these days, I really like that I have a place to live and a, an actual address to call my own.
1: I bet. I bet. What is it like in the medical field? I'm an attorney. And so, you know, if I was to go state to state, I'd get in big trouble. Um, do you have to be licensed oh, statewide yeah. and uh-huh. do you have like reciprocity? Do they, do they just wave you in for that? or do no, you have no, 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 no reciprocity.
0: No reciprocity. Yeah. Each and every state, just like lawyers, my son's a lawyer as well. In fact, I had a, I had, um, I'm, I'm an expert witness as well. So I, uh I had a um what do they call it uh, arbitration today that just got canceled this with this afternoon so I'm excited about that the case got continued but um uh, I was fully prepared for it and prepaid for it so that's great and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh the um next thing is uh you know when you're a doctor you, you, like I had licenses in my initial licenses in Ohio and then it was Ohio Indiana Michigan and Good Illinois Lord. And then I got a license in California and when I got my license in California, I started coming out here a little bit more often. My brother and sister live out here and uh, not like I stayed with them, but it was re. I like California. I have liked California my whole life. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had licenses in uh, Kentucky and North Carolina. And I can only really work in those states when I'm being a doctor. Um, Now, sometimes, like with expert witness, for instance, uh, there's reciprocity there. So I don't always need a license in the state Mm -hmm. to offer an opinion in Texas or something like that.
1: What about the telehealth that you've gotten into, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into a little bit more? So does telehealth go based on the license that you are physically in that state or the advice you're giving to the person who lives there?
0: That's a little tricky of a question. So. Um, I bent those rules a little bit. I think that, I, I think that they, they really want you to be housed in the state that you're licensed while treating people in a state that they're, that you're licensed in as well. So if I'm like, theoretically, I should have, if I'm going to live in California and work in Illinois, I should be licensed in both those states. But in reality, all I really need to be is licensed in the state for which my patient is in. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when I was working in Illinois, I've had many, many telehealth jobs in Illinois. I did that from around the world. I did that from Israel. I did that from, in fact, there's some cool stories about me being a telehealth psychiatrist. Um, you put having my laptop on an ironing board in the middle of the night, actually um, treating people in, in rural uh, southeastern Illinois. And I had a lot of fun actually being a psychiatrist uh, in other countries living in other countries while still providing care to, uh, to the American population, uh, as long as I was licensed in the state where those facilities were.
1: It makes sense to me because, I mean, that's part of the um, draw to telehealth. And, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more as far as the, the cages that we tend to create for ourselves through the degrees that we get. But you would think that, you know, that telehealth is appealing, at least in my mind, because you're not location dependent and you right. finally get to explore and, you know, live that life. So I'm glad that you found a way to make that work for you.
0: Oh yeah. I've been a telehealth specialist for, uh, you know, about 12 years now. I should say that I've stopped doing that. I, I no longer do that anymore because everyone else is doing it. And I decided I need to move on. So who I really am now is a transformational restorative coach, no longer practicing medicine conventionally at all. And I'm also proud to say that Uh, you know, it's no longer, I no longer am stuck to having to do things the way that they're supposed to be done. Instead, I don't use my license. I don't, you know, obviously I don't use my license in any way or use my, um, let's say my education in any way, but to move the needle forward. But telehealth back in a day when there was a choice of actually going to someone's office or being a telehealth provider, the initial boost of what telehealth was, especially in psychiatry was extraordinary. I mean, all of a sudden, if you needed help from a, you know, from a psychiatrist who was well fit to handle whatever problem you were dealing with, all you had to do was just, you know, just like D like DM them and ask them to come on as a consult. And all of a sudden you've got the perfect doctor talking to you about your patient, even though they're 3000 miles away. And, um, you know, telehealth, uh, uh as, now everybody is pretty proficient these days, you know, given the circumstances, everyone's pretty proficient, like you, you and I are doing right here. No one is shocked or uh, disturbed about coming online to actually have communications. But back in the day, it became my preferred way to do um, to do any kind of psychiatric interventions. I used to tell people that if I would be given an opportunity to be in the same room with someone or put somebody else in the next room on a computer, I would absolutely put somebody else in the next room on a computer because all of that happens is there's something called disinhibition and people start speaking their absolute mm-hmm. truth. They feel safe. They don't feel weird about being in the same room. And also when you're looking at a computer, you're not now, these days we're changing a little bit, but you're not obvious. It's not obvious that people can see you as well as you can. Yeah. You feel like you're just talking to that person and they can't see every single blemish or every single blink or every single twist and turn. But um, so people are really all the garden gets dropped and then I can do work with like new patients when I was, uh, when I was practicing psychiatry, new patients, I could do three months worth of work in one visit with, with no problem because we would just be off and running sort of like me and you are now let's face it. We're 13 minutes in or something like that. And yeah, we've already explored massive amounts of things that would not have occurred had you and I been in the same office. No way.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting for me because I keep thinking back to my therapeutic experiences. And when I um, made the choice, I'm going to take responsibility for that. I made the choice to seek therapy, but it was out of things that seemed like I did not have choices, if that makes any sense at yeah, all. It makes um, <laughs> you know, I, I I get really frustrated, side note really quick. I get really frustrated when I'm working with people and they tell me, well, I'm doing this because I don't have a choice. I'm like, look at all the amazing things you're doing. And they're like, well, I don't have a choice. And I'm like, well, you do, because there's this person on the corner that made the other choice that is living the life that you could have. So take responsibility for that, right? Um, But I remember my experience with her, and it was the first time that I had ever done any type of therapeutic healing at all. And I had a lot to heal. (laughs) And, um, And it was probably a month in. Before I gave her a verbal apology and she's like, what are you apologizing for? And I said, I've been wasting your time and mine I'm finally ready to start. Mm -hmm. And, and that was a month in. And Mm -hmm. so I think that you're right when people are comfortable in their environment and this goes for any industry out there, when they're comfortable for their environment, then you get to the heart of the real issues that are in Mm -hmm. the way. So that's
0: right. That's right. There's a real authenticity that comes up that, you know, sort of naturally gets exuded. And there's a real opportunity, you know, once you get trained for looking for the non vocal communications, uh, you know, the silent communications, the idiosyncrasies, you can start seeing that. And especially when you're in, you know, when you're in audio and visual like you are now, you get a really precise look of what it is to dance to each other uh, what the listener is thinking. I'm sort of reading your nods and checking how alert you are to what I say. And it really does direct, um, how precise I can be with my words. And that goes in both directions. So if you create a space for really radical listening for what other persons or other people are saying, a massive amount of magical progress can be made, uh, inside telehealth that simply, I just have to say, you know, if Freud would have known about telehealth, his, his, uh, his uh, volumes would have been entirely different.
1: You know, this is such an amazing conversation because I was just having this with somebody two hours ago. We were talking about communication for podcasters and I said, it'd be so amazing. Like, think about all of the information that we could get out from individual resources that aren't coming out in podcasts because people haven't learned exactly what you just said, how mm-hmm. to read whether or not they're actually getting their point across, how mm-hmm. to pay attention to what somebody's leaning into and what they're pulling away from. Mm-hmm. And we have podcasters interviewing people that are these amazing sources of information. And, you know, at nine-tenths of it's getting left on the table because mm-hmm. of a breakdown in communication.
0: Exactly. Well, that's very astute. You know, this is how I, uh, this is how I developed the True Voice Podcasting Mastermind. And this has been my, you know, this has been my love, my love, uh, the last several, several months. And we have this, uh, summit coming up this next weekend on February 19th and February 20th, the True Voice Podcast Summit. And that's exactly what it's about is, you know, we had, I had 25 people come through my course and all of them went from zero to world-class podcaster in a three month period. And that's because, you know, what we really taught or what we really opened and source resource for these folks was the capacity to to um, to get permission to oneself and then rediscover or uh, re-explore or uh, re-connect with their core self, their true voice, their honest, authentic message. And then to use podcasting as the uh, last remaining vestige of open and honest communication that it is use podcasting as an incredible uh, pathway to delivering a message appropriately and powerfully to the listenership that is eager, willing, and interested in uh, hearing what people have to say about any particular subject. So I invite you to join us, of course, and to uh, your, your anyone, any of your listeners um, who are catching this beforehand or even want to see the tapes are being, I mean, the uh, Interviews are being taped, but it's a generally a live event on the 19th and 20th where we're going to spotlight them. And we have a couple keynote speakers going to be learning and fun all over the two days. And uh, it's really about the urgency of bringing true voice out and the ease. Still, there is some ease still left as long as you know where to look to actually bring forth your honest message to a world that is ready for you.
1: Yeah. I think that that's so needed. It's so necessary. And it's, there's two sides to this, right? Because I remember listening to an episode of Jordan Harbinger's podcast and he said, people ask me how I get these really deep conversations with podcasts. And the answer is I prepare, I read their book. I know the information, I know the knowledge. And while that's ironically uncommon in our field, um, it's only half of the picture. Like he has this innate ability to connect with somebody and to find out where they're willing to go and where they're not willing to go. Mm -hmm. And I love that you are creating a space for people to learn that.
0: Yes, we are. So, and, and, and really to what Jordan said, I couldn't, I, you know, kudos to that uh, preparation tactic. I think it's a great strategy. There's another strategy to take. That's exactly the opposite that I think is at least equally as effective, which is to meet somebody just like your listeners are, you know, without being prepared and mm-hmm. just connect with that person as a human. Now I, um, I had a, uh, we could, I don't even know what to call her. I'll call her a partner. You know, in fact, she just said, uh, she just texted me today. It'd be hilarious if she ever gets to watch this particular episode, but, uh, we were a close partner. We, we lived together for about three years and, uh, she had a real famous dad, super famous, like everyone knows kind of guy. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, and when she was growing up, some super famous people hung out at her house, you know, like people like, oh, really? That, Oh, yeah. Like every week they would come to her house. People that you really do know, I promise. <laughs> and uh, and it would be it was like, well, how'd you manage that? And what we've now joked around is, you know, you just call them by their name and treat yes. them like they're human. That's all. So I don't really much. care if it's Jordan Peterson or Oprah Winfrey. It's like, how about if they come on my show? I treat them like a human. And then when I do that, I you're right. I can read all Jordan's or Oprah's books and like be entirely ready for knowing where she wants to go and cleaning the edges for her so that she gets her absolute pathway to get to what the the goal that she's intending to go to. Or I could just treat her like Oprah Winfrey, yeah. just a, a person over there. and there's some deep respect that comes. From just catching up with somebody and being human with them.
1: On both sides, right? Because people that are of that caliber of notoriety, they're not used to being treated like humans That's right. That's right. So So to be able to bring them back to a place where they can just have a conversation, that's a really interesting point of view that- You know, is the other side to that preparedness? And I think as um, I take this for granted, and and it's coming to me now that you're mentioning it. As an attorney, I naturally do that because that's what I tell my clients to do. Right? You have to talk to the judge like he knows nothing about your case. So I prep my clients for that. But I forget that not everybody has honed that skill. So mm-hmm. then they read a book, and then they come into a conversation talking about the book, and the listeners going, "Well." I haven't read this book. Why am I in this conversation? So. Right,
0: exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you speak about law. And if I, you know, I just told you I had a canceled arbitration for tonight. Then I'm so totally prepared for I know every <laughs> I know every single note, you know, every single turn and twist of this particular case. And it was tonight wasn't the actual trial, but it was a MSG, you know, an MSG that an MSJ that needed to be dealt with. What's interesting inside the law field is that both things and I think in our field too, in order to be effective, you have to have both ways. Number one, I had to be, I, I was going to, if I'm going to get grilled tonight by some sort of, you know, some sort of cross-examining person who's out there to make me uh, incompetent or out there to discredit me. And I, I better know every single detail of this thing, including every detail of the skeletons in my life. I should need to know everything uh, to be prepared that being pre- not walking into an arbitration unprepared is not a good plan i guess that's yeah. what i'm kind of saying but i also accepted a new case today i got a you know got a call from the outside uh, someone had a really interesting case that they want me to opine on and uh, you know they want, and so you know 4 minutes after he called i or 4 minutes after he sent me an email i called him and I'm like, yeah, that's me. And he asked me if I knew how to do this and that. And I said, yep, that's exactly what I do. And he said, okay, you're hired and send me your, and it was something about, you know, send me your your schedule and your CV and we'll take care of it. And let's get started this week. I'm like, okay, thank you. And that conversation took about, I don't know, nine or 10 minutes, but was, I would say that the value of that conversation came entirely from just treating that person like a person, not even like a, a case I needed or a big old lawyer or anything like that. It was really just, being human with the person.
1: Yeah, this... Whole section of this podcast. If we didn't talk about anything else, this is gold for anybody who's listening. And I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care if you're selling washing machines. I don't care if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a coach, you know, a a restaurateur. It doesn't matter. Being able to know your industry, your products, and your clients inside and out, and also approach each relationship as this fresh human interaction, allowing them. Them to dictate where that conversation goes is so valuable. I feel like so many times people spend their life on this sales pitch. Let me mm-hmm. craft the certain sales pitch, and then they're in the middle of these questions, and the customers asking them questions. They're like, "We'll get to that in just a minute. We'll get to that in just a minute." <laughs>
0: right. The
1: customers telling you what they want to know. Ditch everything else, right? And have a human conversation. So valuable.
0: Yeah, it is. It is just so valuable. I just another thing that happened today. You know, I'm I'm working a lot with this uh, summit and with you know now planning to deliver big summits. I have a my book just came out this week, um, so I'm very very excited about that. And and I will talk about that in a moment. And there's uh, this idea of mm, being effective by being authentic is mm-hmm. very very interesting. You know, like like. Sort of laughing with the other person at the absurdity of what it means to be a human or sort of having compassion with another person at the overwhelming amount of responsibility and accountability. It is just to meet another person, let alone to have a meaningful conversation, like just actually getting the core truth of the insanity of what it is to be alive in the very day that we're in right now, while we're pretending that we're not supposed to be insane It's so important to share that with other people. And when you do that, at least you get a like we're going to about to get right now. Me and you get to be like siblings. We get to be like friends. We get to be like, you know, one. And that can only happen when you're bringing something true forward.
1: You know, there's something else that so much of what you're saying is speaking to my soul. And I have all of these experiences that are just popping up. And one of them, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show, is my relationship with relationships with others. And I used to approach it very opposite to what you just said. You know, I would go in, I love to travel. So I'd be at the airport and I would close myself off as much as possible because I'm never going to see these people again. So why should I build a relationship with them? What could I possibly have to say to them that's going to matter because I'm never going to see them again. And the moment that I stepped back and allowed myself to be present and say, whether this person is in my life for 30 seconds or 30 years, I'm going to be present during this interaction. All of a sudden I started making deeper connections and having experiences that I don't necessarily talk to them all the time anymore, but those experiences live on inside of me and dictate what I do moving forward. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: was a huge lesson to learn. So as you're saying, just live with people and share the human experience with them. Yeah. Can I? I don't know how I did it. I don't know what the shift was. I know the work I did to get there, but I'm curious for anybody who's listening, who says, so how, like yeah. how how do you just drop everything and be imperfect with others?
0: All right, well let's breathe into that. It's a deep question. <laughs> and and I think it's a great question. Here here you know the first thing I think I would want to say to that is it's nearly impossible, if not totally impossible, to be an authentic human being. You know you like. The world is calling on us in so many different angles. It's like you gotta you're being compassionate with yourself. I mean, you're 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 doing your very best to, to do your very best. And then you're coming up with these ideas that you call true or untrue, or you're, you know, you you become convicted to certain ways of thinking or, or anything like that. And all of them are rooted on in, in some ways in, in some degree of soil or some degree of. Mm, maybe maybe not like you're not entirely sure of anything that you say being entirely true nothing I'm sorry but you're not even the stuff that you're totally sure is true you're not even sure if that's true I just promise you I even the stuff that you yeah but Fred what about even that stuff you don't you you don't know you don't you
1: don't know I um you know before we continue down this just to highlight what you're saying I remember my dad passed away when I was 18. And I remember the day he passed away, like the back of my hand. And then I tell that story to somebody, my mom. And she says, that's not the way that it that happened.
0: happened. That great? And I
1: was like, no, it is. And then I get the police report and then I get the newspaper articles and I see the time of day. And I see that like the way I remember it, like the back of my hand could not have possibly been the way it happened based upon the information that's in front of me. And you and I deal with this in the field of the legal the and medical all the time. Mm-hmm. But our memories, they're just not reliable. So I love <laughs> that you highlighted on that. So continuing down this path of being human, I love that. And I think it's a huge part of it. So sorry. To yeah,
0: yeah, you. no, not at all. Not an interruption in addition, for sure. You know, what we really have is the possibility of really embracing the unembraceable of of being of being amused, of being um, enchanted or being curious, you know, of really getting all that it means to be human. And when we're with, with another person and getting moving, you know, we don't like to be judged. How about if we stop judging? Is there a possibility? Uh, you know, we don't get out of this thing alive. I, I, read, <laughs> I, read, I read, I read the last chapter uh, by mistake. And I, I thought I was, you know, and that's what it said. We don't, none of us are going to get out of here alive. So, It's possible to really just step back and I'm not going to say enjoy the say appreciate even the discomfort of what it means to be in the world. And, you know, there's a ton of discomfort here. There's a ton of discomfort that we all get to deal with. Each and every one of us have had experience of maximum discomfort. It's some version in our life, some portion of our life. And I think when you start looking at just resetting and being with people, uh let's I, I think I would want to listen again to the exact precise nature of your question, but when we start really looking at what it's like to uh reset with another, we can open up and think from zero, you know, we can start from zero and be curious. Like if I was that person, I would be thinking exactly as they are, you know, something like that. And yeah it allows for peace. It allows at least for the possibility, even if the guy says something that's completely adversarial or totally different than anything I could think would be possibly worth listening to. (laughs) Um, I, is there something about, wow, isn't that interesting that I'm about to dismiss this dude because he just said something that I decided was dismissible.
1: Yes. And you know, we talk all the time especially in the business owner and entrepreneurial space we talk about how do you reach these bigger goals that you have and the answer to that in a nutshell although there's many is allow your allow your perceptions to expand to the point where what you want is possible and reachable well how do you do that you quit dismissing people who Mm -hmm. say things that are different from what you think and it Mm -hmm. all goes back to this ability to be human Mm -hmm. With them. Mm -hmm. I think the reason that these podcasts that we do are so successful is because the people who listen want validation that those feelings of inadequacy that they have are not just theirs, that Mm -hmm. other people have them as well. I know when I listen to podcasts and somebody says something and it's like you feel it to your core, you're like, man, I know what that feels like and I'm glad I'm not alone. Right. But we can only experience that if we're willing to tell people what we're going through. It's like this double-edged sword.
0: All right. So you put me up to an edge of another place, which I think is a really good, really good hopping off point. And I'm really glad we're here, which is I think all of mental illness is based on this exact piece of information that you just brought forth, that people come to a doctor already. It's already a pretty skewed population. They're looking, people think they're coming to us. Most situations you go to a doctor to find out if there's something wrong with you. That's not, that's not why you go to a psychiatrist. The reason you go to a psychiatrist is to find out that there's something wrong with you. Mm. See, I've had the experience of telling people who come into my office that I don't think there's anything wrong with them and they just get freaking furious. And I'm then like,
1: they go somewhere else they go to somebody next door. who They go next them, door.
0: Yeah. See, that doesn't happen in mm-hmm. any other subspecialty.
1: No, you're right. You are 100% right. That need for a second opinion that validates the preformed belief that you've already created.
0: That something's wrong with
1: you. Yes. That's crazy.
0: Uh, you, it is crazy. And crazy oh. is a psychiatric word by no doubt. And here's the thing. The value of the value of being um, like, if I, when I feel alone, when I can be told, oh, yep. Yep. Uh, you mean, I was just, a, I've been a jerk to my wife the last month. Is there something wrong with me? Yep. You've got a blip or you've got, you know, you've got bipolar type two, or you got, oh, you got a social anxiety. You got a, oh, you got a, a autistic spectrum disorder. Then you can walk out of there and relinquish responsibility for that portion of your life. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. You're speaking so much truth to my soul right now. And what you just said, I want people to hear this really quickly. (laughs) You get to relinquish control for that portion of your life, which means that the thing that is stopping you from accomplishing everything that you want to accomplish, you have just said, I don't have any control over. And then you're going to go to somebody like me, a business coach, and you're going to say, I don't know why I can't reach my goals. And I'm going to say it's because you're giving too much of your power away to this imaginary diagnosis that you created and paid somebody to confirm.
0: Yeah. 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 And not only that, it's like, yeah, that's exactly right entirely. And then from that point, and there is some real value in doing that. Look, if I, I don't like taking responsibility for being less than the man I know I am to be. Okay. I don't like that. And if I can get hand that off to like you or my wife or, or a condition, <laughs> I'll be glad to do that. I don't yeah, I don't, need, no. I don't I, you know, seriously, it's not, it's a pain in the neck to realize that I'm an idiot. It just okay. is. So, it's true words have never been spoken. (laughs) So, if that's the case, and I can walk to a doctor and they could say that you have ADD, you have adult ADD. No wonder you're a jerk. It's like, oh, I can't wait to go home and tell my wife that I have adult ADD and I'm a jerk because I can't help myself. Yes. Not only does it serve that purpose, and that seems like I'm blaming the patient. I don't really mean to do that because here's the thing: it takes real courage to get that you are a jerk. It's true. Your experiences of being depressed or anxious are as real as ever. Whether or not I give you a diagnosis, I am not saying that those things aren't brutally real. In fact, I'm underlining them. Not only am I not diminishing them, I would say that I'm actually emphasizing them. I'm giving them to you as part of life's potpourri of what it means to be a human being. Like You're going to have extraordinarily non-understandable, miserable experiences in life things that bring you to your knees, things that confuse you and, and dissect you. And that's called being human. Now, the truth is you could say, I'm sick because I had those. Well, no, you're not. Actually, we're all sick then because we've all had them. But so it really turns out that as a psychiatrist, and it's in, in many ways why I'm no longer practicing conventional psychiatry, as a psychiatrist, it's very valuable if I am given the power to diagnose you because that assumes that the world thinks that I'm okay enough to actually decide what okay is, uh, and then be able to judge you like, nope, you're less than okay. Like, so you tell me I'm good while I tell him he's bad. This works really good for me too, for my ego, for my, you know, for my self uh, image. Even if it's a made in smoke and mirrors, I get to feel good about it being a diagnoser the patient we've already decided gets to feel good about relinquishing responsibility for their life and the family also gets to decide that they like this too because now we see why our family is screwed up because johnny has autistic spectrum disorder it's like mm-hmm. oh no wonder we would have been a good family without that you know again offering secondary relinquishment for the aspects of life you know the like for important aspects of life it really does take courage to look at this boldly like naked and really get that, uh, all of these experiences that you're having, I have, uh, I have a, um, I have a keynote speech that I like to call, uh, you are not mentally ill. You are just human. Mm -hmm. And there's something really to that again, I have to be a little bit careful because there's people out there who are so completely committed to keeping their mental illness intact. Like I am, effing mentally ill. Okay, okay. Just want to let you know, that's just a conversation. And the day that you want to stop seeing yourself as sti- sick and start seeing yourself as a unique human individual with very painful experiences is a day where you're going to re-empower yourself and allow yourself to go in directions that right now aren't available to you because you have yourself as being ill. Now, I've, I've seen 40,000. I've put my note in a chart of 40,000 patients in the last 40 years. And that doesn't make me a super expert. It just makes me 40,000 more patients than the average person. <laughs> I, but, you know, what? what's here is when we re-empower someone from the ground, like, you know what? You don't have to be mentally ill anymore. Or when we get that sometimes receiving the diagnosis and then the associated conventional treatment actually perpetuates the conditions they're marketed to deal with. When we get that crazy phenomena in place, because that is a crazy phenomena, but, oh, yeah that dr fred makes some real sense yeah
1: yeah it does and you know to be clear for anybody who's listening who's on the edge of like jumping through the yeah. computer screen yeah. um I, I don't think either of us are saying that the the things that come along with the diagnoses are not real no, it's that very real by giving your power away to the diagnosis instead of working within the framework that you have as a human to be the most productive, you are doing yourself in the world a disservice because now all these gifts that you have that you're supposed to be sharing with the world are locked inside of this diagnosis instead of saying, this is the way my brain works. And this is how I'm going to work within that because I now know the information. And so I think it's, or the other side of that is Oh, I can have anxious feelings without having anxiety. I didn't know that. Okay, cool.
0: Exactly. Or I can feel entirely helpless, hopeless, and, and um, you know, uh, befuddled. I can feel aimless. I can feel completely confused. I can feel totally furious. I can feel like so sad. Or I can feel like so afraid. So I can be terrified. I can feel uneasy in a crowd. I can sometimes not complete my tasks. I can have trouble sleeping. What, you know, there's others like I can have rapid moving thoughts. I can even hear voices. And the answer is, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. That's called human. And it does not diminish the power of any of those experiences. I cannot say that loud enough because that's the weird translation that happens that makes people think they need to come through the screen. The truth is I am I am more than interested in dealing with the seriousness of the matter of what it takes for you to be another human completely. Let's bring it. Bring every piece of it. And let's get that that's your experience. It's like the deck of cards that you have right now. And that's it. And it includes pain, discomfort, and misery. You know, Buddha sat under a tree for a while. And what he came up with after he was done figuring out everything else in the world, the last thing that he couldn't figure out was that, okay, I guess, uh, I guess there's misery. I think I can get up now. Yeah. I mean, that's oversimplification. People could want to come through the screen on me on that one too. But the point is, it's, it's, it's the point. It's, one of the conclusions is that the way we live this three-dimensional lifetime is going to live in, is going to lead inevitably to massive misery if we don't do anything to deal with it to mitigate it
1: yeah you know and, and let's let's go back to what we were talking about in the very beginning and highlight the fact that by b- being willing to come on a podcast like this and me being willing to not have an agenda and you being willing to be open and human We have been able to have a conversation Mm -hmm. and go deeper than a planned podcast ever could. So when we're going back to how do you show up? Like it's this entire episode is just proof of what can happen when you're willing to just show up. So I want to say thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see the incredible value of your experiences, your knowledge, your education, but more importantly, just your mindset. And how that could help people really reach the level of success that they want to have and communicate better with others. If people want to learn more about your book, to learn more about True Voice Podcasting, what is the best way for them to contact you?
0: Well, um, True Voice Podcasting is TrueVoicePodcasting.com. You can find us on Facebook as well at True in the True Voice community. Um, and uh, if you want to learn more about me, I'm at uh, Dr. Fred at welcometohumanity.net. Um, that uh, website is being upgraded as we speak, as is all my uh, social media. And that's because I really did just recently go in the last year or two, go with a, a massive transformation into being uh, more a stand for true voice or for finding true voice than I ever was uh, before as a psychiatrist. I used to be a doctor and now I'm a healer. Now that we, we really work together to bring forth a a, a new understanding of um, the critical uh, need to bring our honest message forward. And that's who I'm a stand for. It's really who I've been a stand for the whole ride, even through uh, my stay in conventional medicine. Um, and now I'm free again on this side to actually uh, help others find their true voice inside of this uh, pretty challenging world that we're living in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So shifting just a little bit because this is the More Than Corporate Podcast and it was created out of my desire to share my experiences with success and help others relate in that human way. And I never will forget, I'm sitting in my therapist's office and I tell her, I just I feel like such a failure. I'm six months in and she says to me, Amber, you have a six-figure income. You're the first person in your family to go to college. You live in Las Vegas. You support yourself. What does success mean to you? Mm -hmm. And I said, nobody has ever asked me that question before. Mm -hmm. And I spent the next four years trying to figure it out. So I ask every single one of my guests, what does success mean to you? How do you define that for yourself individually?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure I would use the same definition each and every time. But I think at this point, it's a matter of being uh, at peace with yourself most of the time. Uh, I don't think that you're going to find peace of truth yourself all the time. And one of the recent success, let's see if I can say it again. If you can get that, there's no reason to either hurry death or slow death down at all. Then you must be living a successful life. If you can get that, you don't want to die any quicker than you're going to. And there's no reason to die, you know, and then, and the opposite also being true. Um, that you don't need to live longer than you're going to, and you don't need to die. The whole thing, like just be comfortable with death as it's coming. No need to slow it down or speed it up. I think that that's representative of success. But the thing is, I I think the other space is, is, uh, you know, I think I learned this in Boy Scouts or somewhere along the line as a camper. Uh, If, if you can create a situation where you are leaving this world better off because you were here, I, 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 that's kind of an irrefutable measure of a successful life as well. And it just boils down to that. You've made some bad mistakes in this life. No problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For the person who's listening and I am, um, sad to think that it's more people than I want to admit that are saying peace sounds like an amazing definition of success. I don't know what that feels like. Yeah. How do you um, compare peace and complacency? How does somebody Mm. be at peace and still strive for more at the same time?
0: Well, you know, complacency is sort of stopping where you are and somehow, you know, like giving up. And I, that is not what peace is. In my first book, my second book, the one that just got released is called Find Your True Voice. And the one, my first book is called Creative Eight. And that was, um, you know, heaving through uh, um, creativity and self-expression. And um It's in the world of peace as a creator. So sometimes art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening, those kinds of things. When we're actually delivering ourselves, our self-expression to another, there's a peace that gets set in inside of uh, the union, the unification of being with other humans. Uh, sort of a a willingness to share with another the uh, trials and tribulations and beauties and ecstasies of what it is to be a human within both directions, Um, that's a certain kind of piece that doesn't resonate with the notion of complacency. Complacency is like, you know what, screw it, whatever. Or, you know what, I've already made it there, I'm gonna watch Netflix or, you know, like that. That's that's not in the same level of, um, you know, intra realm peace, peace, uh, uh, peacemongering. And I think we can really, we can, the the peacemongering thing is a, it's a dynamic reality. Um, it's one that not only has you experiencing peace, but then opening the doors for the people who are with you to experiencing peace.
1: And such a great answer. It's, You know, the more I remember when I first went to my first personal development conference, and I heard a speaker say, Life isn't about the answers you have, it's about the questions you ask. And I thought, That's bullshit. I'm an attorney, Um, it's all about the answers. And the more that I go down this path, and the more that I work with clients in a coaching capacity, and work on myself in a client capacity the more I realize that the questions that we really need answers to don't have answers, that it's the mm-hmm. willingness to ask the question mm-hmm. that allow us to grow. You know, if you had this magical answer that you could tap up in a bow of what piece is, you would be a, gazillionaire. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the willingness to ask the question, am I at peace? Am I successful? Am I, do I feel? And, and I think it's really incredible that you have um, allowed people to go there. So thank you. Mm
0: -hmm. You're welcome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, I don't have much left to do in the world. I really don't. I've had a great life and it's not like a swan song. I don't mean that. What I really mean to say is that it's it's time to pour back what I've learned. And it's not that much to do, really. It's just a matter of, well, if you can find joy every so often, that'd be good. That's a good thing. Joy's a cool thing. If you want to, um, if you can find uh, love, mm, you know, every few segments of time, you know, like actually feel love either for all of humanity or the entire life experience, or just your partner or your kids or your animals. That's fine. Uh, That's really good. That's a good thing to do. The truth is all the other stuff in the negative vibration experiences, if you can accept those and embrace those as part of the magic smorgasbord of what it means to be alive. Now we're talking about a massive capacity to appreciate life. including the stuff that doesn't necessarily feel good. So there's that out there. And I just think that opening this space for that, it's not simple for me. It's not like I've mastered that. And I don't like being miserable anymore than anybody else does. And I get miserable every so often and there's no quite real miserable. I don't like it any more than anyone else does. And it doesn't mean that when I'm miserable, there's something wrong with me. That's the only thing. And yeah. so when, that's what I really want to drive home. And when we open up that possibility for our clients or for our patients, then that opens up the space for them to actually explore that for themselves. And that's where I think healing really begins. It's like at the heart of all healing is human connection, yes. uh, all healing.
1: Yes, I agree. Such an amazing way to end um, this conversation. Before we completely wrap up, I always end the show with a quick random round. Are you okay with that?
0: Yep. bring it.
1: Awesome. Um, If you could time travel, where would you go and why?
0: I think I'd go about five years from now, same place. What the F happened?
1: Yeah. Um, If you could do any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, I suppose you know. I suppose astronaut or something would be one that I would. Uh, would, you know, that seems like a, a, a one that's been there the whole time. Like I would. Oh, or or a National Basketball Association star.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I can see that. Um yeah, the would... astronaut too. I see you as somebody who would really enjoy like the whole just taking in of everything that you would see from space. Yeah.
0: No, I'd love to be a pro basketball player. That'd be, I would have loved that.
1: That's awesome. Um, Did you play at all in as a kid?
0: I I played until I started smoking weed.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's about (laughs) the time it ends. Um, Other than your book, find your true voice. What book have you recommended the most to business owners and entrepreneurs?
0: Hmm. I think it's Napoleon Hill. I think I think that's just the best book out there in this whole game. I I, I think that's the one that changes the most lives.
1: Yeah, Think and Grow Rich is that yeah, the Napoleon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last question is: I say it's easier, but for some people, it's not. I'm a huge music nerd, and I need new new songs on my um library. What's your pump up song? What do you throw on when you just have to have a good day?
0: Mm-hmm. When I just have to have a good day, I I uh, recently I've been listening to uh jimmy cliff you can get it if you really want or um i can see clearly now the whole i i I, I recently i've been listening to jimmy you're really getting a lot of enjoyment out of reggae recently that's awesome and just to have your listeners know now that i've answered two questions with like marijuana and reggae i i I, it's not like i get high every day at all
1: (laughs) thanks for clarifying that um fred it's been such an amazing conversation um you know there are few guests that I I love every single one of my podcast episodes that I do, but there are a few that leave me feeling like it will transform not only my listeners life, but mine as well. And this is one of those. So thank you for the last hour.
0: Of course, my deep pleasure. I hear you. I respect that. I honor it and receive it. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity.
1: Absolutely. Have a fantastic day.
0: Thanks. You too, Amber. Really great being on your show.